0: We live in a world filled with poor thinking about God. You are not going to go through life constantly struggling, pressured, weighted down by problems. This is a new day. Ease is coming. We should be learning all we can about Him, but our lives are so busy. Ain't nobody got time for that. In the hustle and bustle of daily life, where can we find manageable nuggets of truth? It's not that easy. Another voice has emerged to meet this need, With a face for radio and a voice for silent films, what could go wrong? Stand by. Red 5 standing by. Almost there. We would be honored if you would join us. It is unavoidable. It is your destiny. For Bite-Sized Biology. A bad feeling about this. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bite Sized Theology, the podcast that digests the Word of God. I'm your host, Joe Westbrook, and I invite you to sit back for the next half hour or so and engage with me in matters both practical and theological. Well, let's dig right in. Recently, I was able to hear from a husband and wife team who work with uh, the uh, Wycliffe. Or Wycliffe, however you want to pronounce it, Bible translators mission. This couple has uh, spent uh, some time. I think they said six or seven years the, that they had spent in Papua New Guinea, um, and uh, they've been back in the United States for a few years. Uh, I didn't really get the timeline totally, uh, totally solid there. So. Forgive me on that. Anyway, they were over there for a few years. They've been back to the States for a while, and they're hoping to go back. Um, This couple is not actually part of the translation team in terms of doing translation, uh, but what they do is uh, teach children of the missionaries over there in Papua New Guinea. So they're uh, more kind of in a support role, but they're affiliated with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, And it was was really interesting to hear their, their discussion. So some of the stats or information that they provided... Uh, include the fact that uh, Papua New Guinea is linguistically diverse. I knew that there were a lot of languages over there, but I didn't know that it was quite this extreme. Uh, Papua New Guinea is, an, is a, 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 like an island state, nation state, whatever. Uh, it's, I hope I'm accurate there. Anyway, the, the country itself is about the size of California, and in that area they have some 800 native languages, or what they call heart languages. Uh, which I had no idea. Uh, and currently, I believe they said 300 of those languages they have, uh, they either have or have started translations uh, of at least the New Testament into those heart languages. So now Wycliffe has a goal of starting uh, the translation of at least the New Testament into every native or heart language uh, throughout the entire world by 2025. Now they came up with this goal, I think it was 1998. Um, sometime in the 1990s, I believe, is when they came up with this goal. And, and when they came up with this goal initially uh, of wanting to get uh, a translation at least started in every uh, language um, throughout the world, there were still about 3,000 languages that hadn't, or that had been identified. I don't know if more have been identified at this point, but there were about 3,000 languages that they still needed to get to. Um, and at the point, at that point, uh, uh, the, um, the 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 translating group, uh, Wycliffe, had been, I think, in operation since, like, about the 1920s. Uh, forgive me if I'm getting my dates a little bit wrong. Anyway, so they'd been working for, for probably 60, 70 years already, I think, if I remember my dates correctly. And at the rate that they were going in the 1990s, with these 3,000 or so languages left to go, they were going to accomplish their goal by about the year 2150, so they decided to really kick up the pace. They um, shaved 125 years off. So their goal now, is, like I said, is to get uh, these 3,000 languages at least started by the year 2025. And at this point, so in, in the 1990s, they started with 3,000 languages left to go. And there's like 16 or 1,700 roughly left to go. So, um, you know or maybe it's sixteen, seventeen hundred 1700 is what they've done. Anyway, they're kind of around the halfway mark, um, you know, a, a little bit more, a little bit less, um, and, uh, um, you know, so there's, there's still work to be done. I would encourage you to check out their website, uh, it's, uh, wicklift.org and there'll be a link in the show notes, uh, you can go ahead, uh, and go there, check it out, uh, get some more information, uh, I don't have it up, actually, right in front of me as I'm recording this, um. You know, so to get a little bit more information about what they're doing, uh, I think you can sign up to be like a prayer partner with um, different missionaries that are out doing this work. And uh, you can also, I believe, contribute to the cause. Now, if you are somebody who is linguistically inclined and uh, are a believer, uh, I believe those two, the believer category probably would be more, uh, uh, more, um more pertinent, um, because anybody with with effort, I shouldn't say anybody, but a lot of people with effort, I think, could learn uh, languages necessary, or at least go to a language school. And Wycliffe, I believe, does have a linguistics school. Um, so I think they, I think... And now I'm kind of you know speculating here because I didn't look this far on their website, but I think they um, they have the ability to teach people uh, the fundamentals of linguistics, uh, how to do linguistics, how to translate, um, how to acquire the necessary information, uh, how to build vocabulary lists and such. I think they go through and they can do that so that uh, somebody could go in the field and then. Um, do the Bible translation. So, if you are somebody who's interested in that, go check out their website. Also, uh, that could be something that would fulfill uh, maybe a calling that is there in your own life. So that got me thinking a little bit. Um, doing a quick count here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. So, sitting in my office down here, um, looking over at my shelf, I have uh 16 well 17 really um bible translations sitting on my shelf some of them are duplicates um uh i should say i have 17 copies of the bible and then i've got um a couple of uh like selected portions up there also uh so anyway so i have a lot of a lot of scripture sitting there on my shelf uh upstairs in my living room my main bible my my church bible my main reading bible uh is in the living room it's ready to be grabbed at a moment's notice uh i can you know just grab it right off the shelf to uh you know to sit down and read it uh it's ready to go um uh, for when we go to church it's just a, it's in a handy location so i can grab it right off the shelf as we're walking out the door um if I don't already have it out for some other reason, uh, you know, so it's it's handy right there. And you know, I've got all these copies of scripture sitting around. I also have Bibles on my computer. Uh, I've mentioned before the the Logos Bible software, um, and I haven't done a count on there, but uh, you know, there's uh, numerous translations and versions uh, in this in that software um, uh, that's sitting on my computer. I actually have it on both of my computers, uh, so I can access. Uh, you know, I can, I, I can do a Bible study and other work on either of my computers, depending on, uh, you know, what the, what the needs may be. Um, uh, I have the Logos app on my phone, so I have access to my entire Logos library that way. I have the U version app, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, on my phone. Uh, you know, so both of those, I can access scripture, uh, <clears throat> and, and multiple versions of scripture. There's multiple websites, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, the New English Translation website, um... You know, uh, Bible Gateway is another one uh, where you can, uh, you know, search for a particular passage of scripture. Uh, I haven't worked with it a whole lot. You can you can do pretty large ranges, I think. I mean, you can at least do entire chapters. Um, I don't know if you can do an entire, an entire book on a single page. You might have to pay, scroll through chapter to chapter. Um, but there are numerous translations available to you there. So we live in a, um, uh, you know, just in an incredibly... Uh, Bible-rich period of time. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, it's probable that you have at least one copy of Scripture you're uh, sitting in your home. Uh, I remember hearing a statistic, oh, uh, well, probably 10 years ago, something to the effect of the average number of Bibles in every home throughout the United States. It's like three to five per home. I think that even, you know, that even includes, you know, non-Christian homes where like they have a copy, like it's a family Bible or something. It's not that anybody's necessarily reading it. Um, it's just, it's there. Um, and you can go basically to any store that sells books and pick up a copy of the Bible. Um, you know, and if you're listening to this podcast, most likely you have a Bible accessible to you that's in your own language, uh, which is really incredible. Uh, there are some other comments that I think I'm going I'm to say for a different episode, some stuff that I saw recently kind of going along with this. Um, anyway, but my kind of my, my point is, you know, we've got the Bible available to us in our own language, but this hasn't always been the case. So I'm, I'm going to focus specifically on the English translation, since that's uh, my heart language, my native tongue. Uh, I know a few words in German. I took German for a few years in school and uh, a handful of words in Spanish, um, I think I know a handful, I guess I know a handful of words in French, dare I admit it. Um, you know, that was through no fault of my own. Uh, I just happened to pick those up. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, really it. You know, and most of my, most of my non-German uh, uh, really has come from, well, my, my dad would really like Spanish and, uh, um, you know, so I picked up some that way. Uh, and then pretty much everything else outside of German and Spanish mostly was uh, pick, you know picked up just from movies um i guess tv shows and stuff too uh which would explain why i know like a handful of words in japanese um whether or not i totally know how to use them is another question anyway that's just a little bit of a rabbit trail so english is my language if it's not obvious from uh, speaking on the podcast so that's where i'm going to focus so as early as the mid to late 7th century there were translations of of scripture in in old english um from what i read and i didn't I didn't find a whole lot of information about this. I didn't look super hard either, I'll just admit that. Um, uh, That was kind of a... This is kind of a side note to the information more that I've been reading lately. Anyway, so apparently in Old English in the mid to late 7th century, these translations that were coming out, it was apparently mostly individual books rather than scripture as a whole. Scripture as we know it. Um apparently, uh, not that it was necessarily on scrolls, but it was more uh, kind of the picture that we have of like the Old and New Testament times, where you would have like a scroll or an individual book available to you. And that was where the translations came. Apparently, too, at that time, there was a lot of allegorization, allegorization that took place uh, with scripture. Uh, they made allegories out of a lot of it, evidently. Uh, again, minimal research there. So um, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but that's that's actually not all that uh, unexpected if they only had individual books available to them, uh, really, uh, especially if you had um, something that was not so doctrinally heavy, like the Epistles in the New Testament. Uh, if you had something more, um, even historical, Old Testament books, you know, it would be easier to allegorize them if you don't have the entirety of Scripture to uh, compare it to. Um, <clears throat> so that was that was mid to late seventh century. So that's the period of time, you know, ending in, in the year seven hundred. And then one one of the more famous Middle English translations. Oh, let's see. I skipped something here. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh no, I'm sorry. No, that's right. So Middle English uh, messed up in my notes here. Middle English. Uh, I. Uh, I'm I'm actually not totally familiar. Old English, Middle English, and Modern English um, are are some of the terms they're doing here. I think it refers just mostly to time periods and probably uh, an evolution, if you will, of the language. So one of the more famous Middle English translations was the Wycliffe Bible, which appeared roughly between uh, 1382 and 1395. Uh, I think historically people have attributed uh, the translation entirely to uh, Wycliffe, but I think uh, now it's assumed more. I I think there's evidence to say that there is at least one other individual who had his hand in the translation. Uh, So Wycliffe may have served as a combination of translator and editor in chief. Um, And just of note, his translations serve to inspire what's known as the Lollard Movement. uh, Movement, excuse me. (laughs) This is a movement that took place before what we know of as the Reformation. Um, it was a pre reformation movement. It was a movement that rejected many of the teachings that were particular to the Roman Catholic Church. And Wycliffe's Bible was, um, was inspirational in that. And part of that was because they had, you know, the word in their own language. Um, now even though many could not read, Wycliffe is quoted as saying, it helpeth Christian men to study the gospel in that tongue in which they know best Christ's sentence. Um, so, you know, it, it was important to Wycliffe that people at least be able to hear the word in their own language. Uh, Jerome's <clears throat> Latin Vulgate was the primary scripture at this time, and, and the Latin, of course, carried on still for several centuries after that. Um, and at best, only the Roman Catholic officials actually understood the language. Not very many people outside the clergy really uh, understood Latin. Um, you know, if you're a farmer... Uh, you know, or, or something like that, you know, a, a menial worker, uh, you probably don't have the time to spend to, you know, to learn Latin so that you can understand, you know, scripture. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've been reading a, a biography about William Tyndale uh, lately, and uh, it, said that, it said there that there was at least one example of a, a local clergyman who simply repeated the Latin. Uh you know and he didn't actually understand it himself, so he wasn't even learned uh in in Latin who had had been instructed didn't know it he just repeated it but um, there's a Latin phrase which of course I didn't write down, and I can't remember but essentially it was uh there was a an idea that uh, simply just speaking the words essentially brought the presence of Christ in um, you know it was sufficient just to speak the words even if you didn't understand them and uh, that just reminded me actually of just this second um, <clears throat> where Paul is giving instruction to the church talking about speaking in tongues and saying that uh, you should only speak in tongues if there's somebody there to be able to interpret it you know for the purpose of uh, edifying the body and that's a whole other a whole nother topic too for another time okay so speaking of William Tyndall. Excuse me. Sorry. Speaking of William Tyndale, he produced the first early modern uh, English Bible translation, and this uh, first appeared in 1526. Uh, and it may have been just the New Testament at that time. And just for a little bit of res- reference, um, uh, Erasmus, uh, who was known for uh, he, he was known for publishing in particular a Greek New Testament, and he published his Greek New Testament in 1516. Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg in 1517, and John Calvin published the first edition of his Institutes of the Christian Religion in 1536. So just kind of some time frame in there. So 1516, the Greek New Testament, 1517, the 95 Theses, 1526, Tyndall's... Um, Uh, English translation, I think 1521 or 1522, Martin Luther's German translation came out, and then Calvin's Institutes in 1536. So Tyndall is operating right in the middle of and right in conjunction with the Protestant Reformation. Um, Now part of Tyndall's motivation... Uh, was the license that members of the clergy were taking and, basically fleecing the people, uh, something that the people themselves, they may have had kind of an idea, but they wouldn't have fully realized it because, uh, you know, the only scripture they heard was read in Latin. If they didn't understand the Latin, you know, basically, you know, if you go to somebody, uh, who doesn't understand what you're saying, or, you know, if, or if you read something in a foreign language or you speak in tongues, that sort of thing, uh, you can say that you're saying whatever and, and you can do whatever you want. Now, somebody might think that it's not fair. Um, you know, that say, like, the the clergy were getting wealthy and exempting themselves from taxes and and other things. Um, But they couldn't do anything about it, you know, really, because they didn't have a scripture that they could understand. Uh, So they couldn't point to things and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this doctrine of, uh, uh, like, transubstantiation, the idea that uh, Christ literally... Uh, the, when you take communion that Christ, that you're literally consuming, uh, the flesh and blood of Christ, uh, uh, <clears throat> that's just, that that's one thing. Praying to the saints is another thing. Um, and I think praying to the saints was one of the doctrines or one of the practices that Tyndall was particularly opposed to. Um, you know, so with, but without a Bible translation in their own language, the people couldn't really do anything. Uh, during this time the printing press had become available and this really helped spread copies of tyndall's bible uh, although the copies if they were found typically were burned um and his bible played a key role in spreading reformation ideas throughout the english-speaking world and this eventually you know sp- spread into the british empire um <coughs> uh influenced uh later um you know other things so uh, now tyndall had, he had to operate on the run and in, and he had to be in hiding a lot of times uh you know, in order to, you know because of all this he was sought after uh, uh for for doing this uh he was betrayed and arrested in fifteen thirty five he was executed in fifteen thirty six um i think if i read it right he was originally they were going to burn him at the stake and uh somehow they decided they strangled him first and then just burned his body um I don't know how, you know, I, I guess I'd rather be strangled than burned, uh, while I'm still conscious, so there's that at least, but, uh, you know, he, he gave his life for this. Now, other English Bibles followed, and, uh, probably the most famous, uh, would be the 1611 King James Version, or King James Bible, um, uh, which was, uh, Uh, so published in 1611. There were 54 scholars who put that together, and it's estimated that uh, they used 83% of Tyndall's New Testament and 76% of his Old Testament. So he heavily influenced the King James. Uh, He also was prolific in uh, phraseology, coining terms, and many of the the phrases that he coined heavily influenced Shakespeare. Um... And it got to the point to where many have, have suggested that Shakespeare would not be remembered, basically, if it weren't for Tyndale. Uh, you know, or, or other phrasing, no Tyndale, no Shakespeare. You know, so um, not commenting on the, the um, goodness or, or not on, on William Shakespeare and the works that he left us, but, you know, just the impact. Um, Tyndale, obviously, he had a very strong theological impact he also had a secular impact. Um, so, was, so that's a very brief history. Uh, I would encourage you to, to look into this more. Um, so, we're going to get into just a little bit of theology and the application, and then we'll be done for the day. So, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and seventeen. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So, this is a pretty famous passage. You know, most people at least have kind of a um, a base remembrance of it, if not a you know working knowledge of it. Um, getting into the canon of scripture—that'd be a topic for uh, another time as well. So, um, my, uh, all of my Bibles—I uh, guess I, I take that back. I do have a a copy of a Catholic Bible, which I didn't include in my account because I've got it on a different shelf. Um, anyway, uh, the Catholic Bible has eighty books. Um, they have 14 apocryphal books. Um, the non Catholic Bibles uh, have 66 books. They don't include the Apocrypha in them. Um, <clears throat> and that, the, getting into that, that's a topic for a different time. Um, now, Scripture is inspired by God. Um, and and the, the, you know, the way that Jesus interacted with uh, people when he walked this earth. You know, he interacted primarily with, you know, the dregs of society, the lessers, the, uh, you know, even the untouchables, you know, so, uh, just based on, on that example alone, uh, you know, the words of Christ and, and the words of God through the entirety of scripture should be accessible to everybody, not just, you know, an elite group. Um, and, and you need scripture for, um, you know, for, for right living. Uh, you should be taught by scripture. You should be, uh, admonished by scripture. You should be corrected by scripture. And, uh, you know, scripture provides the basis, you know, for, for righteous living. Um, it gives you an understanding of the condition of man. It gives you an understanding or, you know, it gives you what you need to know about what's required by God. Um, and so, uh, every Christian should have a working knowledge of scripture, um, you know, and, and, and let it, they should be letting it a- apply to their lives too uh, going along with that 2nd 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth um, uh, that's quoted from the King James uh, I looked at the the NET uh, New English Translation and it's not that it was bad, but it this, this concept of study uh, didn't seem to come out as clearly to me Um, actually, let me just pull it up here just for comparison's sake. We'll try to at least. Okay, so it says, make every effort to present yourself before God as a proven worker who does not need to be ashamed, teaching the message of truth accurately. Um... You know, so I mean, you know, in both cases, um, you know, putting yourself before God uh, to show yourself approved to God, or to show yourself before God as being a proven worker. Um, I just I like the wording in the King James here study. Um, maybe that's just because I'm I'm kind of academic in nature. Uh, but it's not just you know I mean it, it's I think the the concept really is uh, you know putting in a lot of hard work. Uh, it, you know, it, it takes, it sometimes takes a lot of work to go through and really, you know, do the, do the necessary steps, you know, um, uh, to compare scripture with scripture, to really dig in, uh, you might need to do some, you know, some language study, uh, you know, other things to, to get at a, a particular concept. Uh, there, the, there, um, the, there are depths to be plumbed in, uh, that's not the right phrasing. Anyway, you know the depths of Scripture are such that, you know, we will never uh, get through them entirely in our lives. Um, one of the one of the common things about Bible study and about uh, learning about God and theology and, and such is that the the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Um, uh, another phrasing is uh, or another another concept, basically, like you know the, the Word of God is so simple that. You know, even a child can understand it, yet so deep that um, its depths can never be exhausted. Uh, so it, it, it takes work. And then Acts 17 10 to 12, the, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea at once. Uh, so they sent um, Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica, they came under threat, and the Christians there sent. Paul and Silas, away from Thessalonica to Berea during the night. When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue, which was, that was Paul's practice to go to the Jews first. And these Jews were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they eagerly received the message, examining the scriptures carefully every day to see if these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with quite a few prominent Greek women and men. Now, they they eagerly received the message, but they also examined the scriptures. These Bereans, you know, are held up as... um, as, a, as a, an example, uh, you know, to us as believers, uh, they heard preaching from Paul and Silas. They had available to them uh, the Old Testament because at this point the New Testament wasn't written, or at least not entirely written and not readily available. So they compared what Paul said, what Paul and Silas said, to um, <clears throat> to the Old Testament and uh, confirmed that what Paul and Silas was saying was accurate. And, uh, many of them believed as a result, you know, they were convinced by Paul and Silas that what they were saying was true and that they needed Christ. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> kind of an application point there is, um, uh, well, kind, of, kind of tying it all together. You know, we should be in scripture regularly, being fed, being taught. Um, we should be studying it. We should be, um, uh, internalizing it. Uh, we should be, you know, applying it also to our lives. It's not just, uh, you know, hear it and you're good. Uh, I think in James where it says, you know, be not, forget the exact phrasing. Basically, don't just don't just listen to the word, but obey it as well. Uh, be not a, be a doer of the word, not only a hearer. Um, again, I apologize. I don't have the phrasing down uh, correctly. And then, you know, in the Bereans, you know, they compared, you know, basically they compared scripture to scripture, or they, or they compared what Paul was saying with scripture, uh, and that's what we ought to be doing, uh, you know, even if we go to a church where we listen to a pastor that we trust, every word that, that they, that they say should be compared to scripture, uh, because, you know, pastors, uh, are, are human too, and they're subject to the, uh, failings of men. Um, I hope that, uh, that anything that I'm saying, uh, that you're comparing, uh, the things that I say with Scripture to say to see if the things that I'm saying are true, uh, you know, I think what I'm saying is true, uh, but it's it's not uh, it's not uh, unheard of that I would misspeak um, or I might just have an incomplete or even incorrect understanding uh, of a concept in Scripture. So it's important that uh, you know that you compare Scripture, uh, compare the things that I say to Scripture. Scripture is the standard. Um, and there's some other thoughts that I want to bring, uh, uh, kind of along this matter. We'll save that for another time. Uh, next episode, maybe. Um, but we'll see. So that's, uh, the primary, uh, of what I wanted to say today. Um, you know, just, I was really encouraged by listening to this missionary couple from Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, remember to go check out, uh, their website, Wycliffe.org. Uh, I would recommend also there'll be a, an Amazon affiliate link in the show notes. Uh, this book that I've been reading lately, Tyndall, the man who gave God an English voice. It's written by David Teams. Uh, I'm not done with it yet, but so far it's been really good. The history aspect has been interesting. Uh, just to hear a, a review a little bit. Um, I actually my my history is uh, kind of shaky, so you know this is this is good stuff for me. So I hope that it would be encouraging to you. I do want to remind you uh, to go into iTunes to leave a rating and a review and then contact me to let me know who you you are. Uh, And you'll be entered in a drawing to win a coffee mug or T-shirt of your choice. I'll put uh, links for the the stores in the show notes so that you can go check out and see what's available. Uh, And, uh, you know, we'd love to do that. Of course, a rating and a review also helps uh, other people be encouraged to try the podcast out when it comes out. Uh reminder, them to get in touch with me also. There's a few ways you can do that. Um, if you um, go ahead and leave a rating and review, uh, email me at joe at jwexperience.com and let me know and say, hey, uh, my iTunes username is this, and this is who I am, uh, so that I know who you are. You can uh, go to my website, jwexperience.com. That's where the blog is hosted and other information. There's the Facebook group, Bite Size Theology, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at byte underscore sized theo. So I want to thank you for taking this time to be with me today. Uh, I hope that it's been uh, informative and encouraging. Uh, I had a lot of fun looking into this, uh, and I'm hoping to be encouraged myself as I continue this uh, this study into Christian history. I've got some other resources that I'm looking uh, forward to uh, getting into, and. Uh, Uh, I'll probably be sharing those at some point in the future as well. So uh, get out there. Uh, I hope that you have a a good day, a good week. Uh, It is Sunday morning at 6 a.m. as I'm finishing this up, and uh, I'm getting ready to have breakfast and then head out the door to work because this is my weekend to work. Uh, Day number three out of seven. Very exciting for me. Uh, so I, doing this, hopefully, uh, actually has been an encouragement to me this morning. Uh, so I think that, uh, I should be able to go through this day, uh, much more encouraged. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity to do that. So in all things, as always, uh, I want to encourage you to let your theology impact the way that you live your life. God bless.